4. If you're following in the Church Bibles, that's on page 994, and the reading is behind me on the screen. Starting in verse 36 of Matthew 24, reading through to Matthew 25 and verse 13. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the Master has put in charge of, his, of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose Master finds him doing so when he returns, truly I tell you, he'll put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all, began, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there, might, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And this is God's word. But about that day or hour, 
No one knows. So the question that Jesus asks us this evening is, are you ready? Are you ready for Christmas is a question that I have been asked numerous times recently. And my stock answer is no, not yet. Are you? Now, <coughs> I'm no judge of anyone, uh, and, but sometimes I just get the inkling, the feeling that sometimes the person asking me, are you ready for, a Chris- are you ready for Christmas, is really, they want to tell me that they are and somewhat in a smug way, that they are ready. I've got all my presents, it's all done. Now, I could be wrong that they're feeling smug, that they're ready, and I'm not. But the question demands an answer and assumes that we know of an important event that is looming that we must be ready for. But, are you ready for Christmas is not the most important question. The most important question is, are you ready for that day? Are you ready for the day when Jesus comes back? Matthew 24, 44, Jesus says, So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. One of my great fears, I'll be honest, is that For many, many people, Christmas is just an end in and of itself. It's a happy time in the middle of the bleak midwinter where we're all a bit fed up and a bit down. So we're going to have a Christmas time and have a fun time and all the rest of it. Won't it be a little boost for us to get through what we're going through then we can get on with life? Christmas, as I say, even Christmas in the Bible, the first advent of the Son of God, is not a means in an, not an end in of itself. It's a means to an end. Jesus came so we'd be ready for when he came back. That's what we're talking about this evening, this day. So that every one of us in this room and every one of those people that we love and those in the community that we are called to serve are ready for that day. Let me remind you of the context in which Jesus said these words. Um, this is Jesus' last occasion when he visits the temple. He begins by telling them, when he goes into the temple after the uh, Palm Sunday, as it's called, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. After denouncing the leaders of the house for not recognizing the time of his coming to them as their Messiah, He ends by saying, your house is left unto you desolate. And he makes some stunning statements on the Mount of Olives. As the disciples leave the temple with Jesus, they call his attention to how magnificent Herod's temple is. And it was. And he says, not one stone will be left upon another. Everyone will be thrown down. Which raises the question that they asked. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age last week we looked at how jesus answered the what question what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age from matthew 24 
34 through 34. And the takeaway for us is we need to persevere because the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This evening, what I want to do is continue with that discussion, looking at Matthew 25, and it really extends through to 25.30. We won't get there. We need to be ready. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? The, The takeaway for us is we need to be ready. And what does ready look like? How do we know we're ready? When we were thinking about the what question, Jesus summarized it by telling us the lesson from the fig tree, 24-32. And he taught us that in these last days between his resurrection and his return, those days, the days in which we are living, would be marked by, number one, increasing deception. See that no one deceives you. They would be also marked by increasing distress and great distress. And they'd also be marked by increasing desertion as the love of many grows cold. And when persecution comes, the real Christians experience persecution, but those who are hypocrites and weren't real Christians anyway turn on their fellow Christians in the church. So Jesus' standing orders for us as we're living in these last days is watch out that no one deceives you, 24-4. See to that you are not alarmed, 24-6. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, 24.12. What I want to do, as I say this evening, is talk about the when question. Because Jesus gives half a chapter on the what. And one and a half chapters on the when, and you need to be ready. Because you don't know the when is going to happen. You must be ready. So to walk us through this part of what Jesus is teaching us, I want us to meditate by thinking about three things. Number one, what we do not know. Number two, what we do know. And number three, what we must be. What we don't know, what we do know, what we must be. That's where we're going this evening. Let's ask God's help as we look at this incredibly serious part of God's word. Father, please, please make sure that every one of us leaving this room and every home and heart and family that we represent is ready for that day. Nothing is more important than that. Make us ready, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What we do not know. We do not know the hour or the day. Jesus stresses that point that regarding the timing of his return, it is a divinely kept and closely guarded secret. Verse 24, 36, but about that day or hour, No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. 24.42, therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. 24.44, so you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. 25.13, therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Which means, it could be tonight. 
it could be tonight. That's the point that Jesus makes about the thief in the night in 2443. We don't know. It could be tonight. Or it could be in a long time. The master of the, the faithful and wise servant and the one became a wicked servant said, my master is staying away a long time, 2448. And the bridegroom, the, the, the virgins were waiting and they all became sleepy because he, the, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. It could be a long time. It could be tonight. We don't know. And Jesus deliberately sets up the tension between it could be really soon or it could be in a long time. Deliberately, he holds us in that tension for our own good. We know that he is coming back, and I'll say a bit more about that later. But because we don't know when he is coming back, he wants us to live in this state of tension. And this tension is a love gift from him because... It keeps us focused, therefore keep watch. We're told twice in this passage to keep watch. 24.42, therefore keep watch. 25.13, therefore keep watch. <clears throat> okay, so what does it mean to keep watch? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean gawping at the sky. Because that's what happened immediately after Jesus ascended. His disciples who were with him, the 120 as we read about in Acts chapter 1, stood gawping as Jesus went up into the sky. And this is what the angel said to them in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. You don't need to turn it, I'll read it to you. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Then suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. It, keeping watch does not mean gawping at the sky. Nor does it mean... Keeping watch does not mean playing join-the-dots speculation game. What do I mean by join-the-dots speculation game between current news items and prophecies that Jesus includes in his word? Revelation, the book of Revelation, is full of end-time prophecies. And it is... <clears throat> some people have a happy hunting ground in looking at current news items and reading them into the prophecies. That's... Potty. I was told years ago when the European Union in its early days had 10 member states. They'd admitted a 10th member to the European Union. And someone told me on great authority this was the 10 horned beast in Revelation 13 because we've now got 10 members of the European Union. What happened when number 11 joined the happy throng, or 27? It's possible, you see, to be so speculative you miss the point. That's not what keeping watch means. It's not gawping into the sky, nor is it drowning in Lake Potty speculation. What does it mean? Keeping watch 
means ensuring that your relationship with the Lord Jesus is intimate and fresh and real and joyful. Keeping watch means that you are actively killing your sinful desires. Literally in the next chapter, when Jesus takes his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's praying in agony, he tells his disciples, watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. Keeping watch is being you being responsible for your own soul. And keeping watch over your soul that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And your love for him never grows cold. And your passion about killing sin when you see it and feel it in your heart is as radical as it needs to be. That's what keeping watch means. But about that day or hour, no one knows, says Jesus. Therefore, keep watch. But we do know some things about that day and about that hour because Jesus has told us. Let's think about what we do know. We do know (coughs) what it will be like. And what Jesus does from Matthew 24, 37 to the end of chapter 25 is tell us what it will be like. He uses history, illustration and parables to tell us what it will be like. Let me summarise these for you. He tells them, look at verse 24 verse 37 as it was this is the history as it was in the days of Noah so it will be at the coming of the son of man days of Noah if you read the Genesis account of the days of Noah the overriding theme upon which God's judgment comes upon the world of that day is because of the increasing wickedness and violence of the day. But Jesus does not, in making the comparison between the days of Noah and his return, Jesus does not highlight, does he, from the text, the wickedness issue that was prevalent in the days of Noah. What does he highlight? Normality, just normal. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, they were getting on with life. They were getting married, they were falling in love, they were having children, they were having funerals. They were just doing, they were getting about on, on their normal business. They were sorting out whether they were ready for Christmas. They were getting their pension plans sorted out. They were making sure they had their holidays booked for next year. They were just doing all of the normal stuff of life. And they were oblivious. They knew nothing. This is terrifying. Look at verse 39. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. In the middle of the days of Noah... There was one man and his family who knew judgment was coming and he built an ark. He spent 120 years building an ark and preaching the gospel of righteousness that judgment is coming and salvation is getting in the ark with me and my family. 120 years and they were thought, well, this is a loony tune. 
He's, what's he smoking? I don't, what's he on? We've got things to do. We've got a marriage to prepare. We've got funeral to take. We've got Christmas to get ready for. This is all garbage. Bang, gone. They knew nothing. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. The days of Noah. Look at verses 43 through 44, the thief in the night. Jesus' point here is that he will return, his return will be at an unexpected time and an unwanted time for those who are not ready. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he'd have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. How many of you experienced a thief in the night? How many of you have had a robbery on your property at night? Yeah, a few of you. Now, if you'd have known the thief was coming, he wouldn't have got away with it, would he? He wouldn't have. You'd have done something about it, wouldn't you? I had a, one of my dream cars, and then, you know, I think I've grown up about out of this, and there's just bits of tin that could drive you one place or the other, and they fall apart, you get another one. But I had a Ford Capri. How many of you know what a Ford Capri is? Look at it. Yeah. I had a lime green. It was butt ugly. I had a lime green Ford Capri. It was my dream car. And it was parked on my drive. And when I came out in the morning to go to work, it wasn't there. And I thought, did I park it around the corner? I went and walked around the corner. It wasn't there. I got back. No, I stood in the place where the Ford Capri should be, and it wasn't there because someone had stolen it. Thief in the night. I sh if I'd have kept watch, I wouldn't have gone. They wouldn't nick me car, but they did. I, why? Because I wasn't ready for that. And that's the point that Jesus makes. His return will be at an unexpected and an unwanted time for those who are not ready. Interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 uses this verse to make some pastoral application. They said, the day of the Lord shouldn't surprise you. It's the unprepared who will like it, be like a thief in the night. But you're not going to be caught out, are you? Says the Apostle Paul. History, illustration, parables. Just touch on one of them, the ten virgins. That's Matthew 25. 1 through 13. <clears throat> I don't intend to expound the parable. I just want to sort of highlight the main takeaway points for this. In both the historical analogy of the days of Noah and in the thief of the night, the vast population were completely oblivious. This came as a completely out of the blue, despite hearing the gospel being preached to them. It was just water of a duck's back. When you come to the parables of the ten virgins in the wedding banquet, I haven't gone into the parable of the wise and foolish servant, but what he does in the parable of the wise and foolish servant and the wise and foolish virgins and the investment of the, of the talents, the parable of the talents, he's talking to the church. He's talking to those who profess to know and love Jesus. Jesus raises the stakes, particularly when we think about the ten virgins and the wedding banquet. He raises the stakes in this parable because all the virgins 
are expecting the bridegroom. They know the bridegroom is coming back. The wise ones do and the foolish ones do. They all are ready and waiting. Apparently they're all ready and apparently they're all waiting for the bridegroom to come because they know he's coming. That's the church. This is both what we thought about. This is the invisible and visible church. This is ten people who profess to know and love Jesus. And five of them are ready and five of them are not ready. Five of them go in and five of them are shut out. That should be scary. That's the point of the parable. And it's, ter- it's even more scary because when you look at what happens and the door was shut, while they're on their way to buy oil, look at verse 10, they were on their way to buy the oil. The bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut Later the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. Do you know what that means, Lord, Lord? When they say Lord, Lord, do you know what they're... They are absolutely clear on who Jesus is. They have a very sound theological understanding of who Jesus is. They know he's Lord. They say it twice. The double naming in Scripture always means not just I know who Jesus is, but I have an emotional attraction and attachment to him. Lord, Lord always speaks of emotional involvement. They thought they were real Christians, but they weren't. They were shut out. Jesus replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And the next parable, and the one after that, the sheep and the goats, are all related to people who should know and should be ready, and they're not. But he's also told us the experiences of people on that day. He's told us what the day will be like. But he also tells us the experiences of people on that day. For those people who are not ready, it will usher them into an eternal place of inconsolable anger and sorrow. Matthew 24, verse 51. This is the wise and foolish servants. This is the wicked servant. Jesus says, when his master returns and finds the wicked servant not doing what his master has told him to do, when the wicked servant knows that he should do what his master has told him, but he's not doing it, Jesus says he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping means unconsolable sorrow. Gnashing of teeth means uncontrollable anger. Forever. Endless sorrow, endless anger. 
He says the same again at Matthew 25, 30, where he returns and he asks the people he's invested in, what have they produced? The man who had 10 produced 20. The man who had 5 produced 10. The man who had 1 produced nothing. And the sentence, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, in Matthew 25, 41, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He's told us what it will be like for those who are not ready. He's also told us what it will be like for those who are ready. It will be entering into a domain of eternally sharing in Jesus' joy and happiness. Matthew 25, 21 and Matthew 25, 23 say the same thing. For those who have proved that they're ready, and we'll think about that later, his, Jesus says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. We were made to hear that. You and I are made to hear Jesus say that to us on that day. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's what you're made for. Are you ready for it? Matthew 25, 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He's told us what we do not know exactly when he's coming, but he's told us what it will be like on that day. And he urges us to be ready. What we must be. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So, how do you know that you are ready? I do not want anyone to leave this room tonight without knowing that they're ready. There is nothing more important for you and for your children and your loved ones to know with absolute assurance that you are ready. And this is ex especially important to know that because in three of Jesus' parables... He cites instances of those who wrongly imagined that they were ready. And we've touched on that. They weren't ready and they ended up in hell. So, how can you know, how can you and I know that you are truly ready? What is it that marks the ready from the unready 
even in a church service like this, in a Christian culture that we live in, in within this church family. I don't want anyone to hear Jesus say, after you cry on the, banging on the door outside, Lord, Lord, I never knew you. So how do you know, with absolute God-given assurance, that you are truly ready? According to Jesus, people who are ready are watchful, faithful and wise and fruitful. He tells you how you can know you're ready. He doesn't just leave it hanging. This is how you can know that you are ready. The people who are ready are watchful and prayerful. I take that from Matthew 24:42 and Matthew 25:13. Therefore, watch. Therefore, keep watch. I've already touched on this. Therefore, those who are ready are experiencing in their own soul that the Lord himself is becoming even more glorious and delightful. Your love for Jesus is growing. If your love for Jesus is growing, you're probably ready. If your hatred of your sin in your own life and your besetting sins are a real problem to you and you want them gone and you're doing the best you can in the power of the Spirit to kill those things that you know Jesus died for on the cross, you're probably ready. Being watchful and prayerful. And secondly, being faithful and wise. We didn't touch on this parable, but that's what Jesus talks about. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? He asks that question in Matthew 24, 45 to 47. What does that mean? So watchful and prayerful is about your own relationship with the Lord. Faithful and wise is about your relationship within your church family. Because there are those whom God has appointed as the leaders of the church whose responsibility it is to feed us the nourishing food of God's word. As we relate to those who God has placed within us who feed us God's word and we relate to one another in a healthy way and we love and care and serve one another, we can be sure that we're ready. If you love the Lord and hate your sin, you're probably ready. If you love God's people and love God's word and you love fellowship and love praise, you're probably ready. Watchful and prayerful, faithful and wise, fruitful and accountable. I take that from the parable that we didn't have time to look at this evening, which is the guy where, where Jesus says in Matthew 25... Verse 14, again it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To the one he gave five bags of gold, another two, another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away on his journey. The, 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 the next indications, the next marks of those who are ready is they're fruitful and accountable. The Lord has entrusted you with 
what Jesus uses in illustration here, bags of gold. It used to be talents, if you're reading in the old version. In other words, God has blessed you with certain things that are uniquely your gifts. We were thinking about that in the prayer meeting. God has literally invested things in you to use for his glory and the good of others. That's the purpose of the parable. But he wants you to be fruitful with what he's given you, your time, your treasure, and your talents, the skills that he's given you, the money that he's given you, the time that he's given you, so that you see as many, many people as possible come to know and love Jesus before that day. That's the purpose of that parable. That are you investing yourself, are you taking Jesus' investment in you and using it to invest in others for his glory and their joy? Because you know that you're going to be held to account for how you have used the gifts and the times and the talents and the treasure the Lord has given you. How do you relate to your money? Is it yours or Jesus's? How do you relate to your time? Is it yours or Jesus' gift to you? How do you relate to your talents, the skills that God has given you, the things that he's woven into your life, the experiences he's put through? Are they yours or his? If you are pouring yourself out for others to see them one for Christ you can be fairly sure that you're ready for that day. Watchful and prayerful, your own relationship with the Lord and with yourself. Faithful and wise, your relationship with God's people in the church community that he's placed you in. And fruitful and accountable, trying to win as many people to the, to the Saviour whilst you've got breath in your body. That's what Jesus wants to see in us so that you know you're ready. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Are you ready? Are you ready? May God make us all ready and know that we're ready. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there is nothing more pressing, more important more serious to know that we're ready. Help us to recognize the signs that you show us in this passage that we can know for with unshakable, God-given certainty that we're ready. And if any in this meeting this evening don't know if they're ready, please make them ready. And make them to know that they're ready. We ask that you do this for your glory and their everlasting joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The sands of time are sinking.